You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast, your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kai. And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, this week for our beers, we're going back to our favorites. Uh, since we are, again, recording in separate locations over the interwebs, um, we decided to pick up two different beers, um, keeping it kind of in the same family. And this week we are heading back to those hazy, juicy double IPAs that we love oh so much. And, you know, since we've mm-hmm. done a few um, a few international styles recently, we thought it, it's okay to go back there. I know everybody's sick of hearing us talk about <laughs> IPAs, but... Hey, we we segued for a bit. We're going back. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's one of those things where uh, there is a point at which I will not log a beer in Untapped because it's just another hazy IPA. And while uh, it is still a very very popular style, seems like it's not going away anytime soon. Uh, I felt like maybe this was also kind of a good way for us to ramp up towards the uh, our, our GABF. Um, stint where we'll probably be drinking a lot of different beers, you know, some barrel aged stuff, some German stuff, German styled stuff, at least. Um, and and sampling a lot of different unique beers. So let's sort of let's ground ourselves in just a, a, if you would, classic Northeast style Imperial IPA. I, I, I thoroughly agree with you on that. Um, this week, I stopped by my local store. Be- well, actually, I was working in a local bottle shop, uh, bottle shop, coffee shop, sandwich shop, all in one. And I went over to check out the um, the freezer or fridge, and I noticed that they had something that I'd actually been looking for for a while since I first saw it show up on Instagram. Um, I have Meeseeks Juice, the juicy IPA from Los Angeles Ale Works. The can is, it's nice and it's it's got a cool blue um, the Meeseeks juice and just this mouth that's just drooling, just waiting for that juiciness of the <laughs> IPA to come in. Um, it is an Imperial Double IPA, um, 8% ABV. And again, it's from Los Angeles Ale Works here in LA. This is one of those that when I saw it in the bottle shop uh, down south, was one of those that really, really stood out on the shelf because of the like hyper royal blue that they use and the like bright green that seems to be really popular with um like sports teams now and just kind of like it just popped off of the uh off the the can section at at the bottle shop i was at yeah that's exactly it the and then the the um by the way the me seeks juice so basically how it's spelled out is it's two two words uh m-e-s-e-e-k-s so me seeks and then juice is j-o-o-s-e so doing a little little play with the words there. I don't know if that's just for the heck of it or to, yeah. you know, get by trademarks. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. I'll talk about my beer. Um, I've got the AK Chaos Warrior Edition uh, Ghost 646. Very complicated uh, beer name from Android Theory. It sounds like a uh, it sounds like you're describing an anime character from like a cyborg show. Yeah, it really does. And I, I mispronounced the brewery name too. Uh, Adroit Theory is, is the one. I keep wanting to say Android Theory just because I guess I'm a I'm an, a deep, deep Android user now. And we just had uh, Apple's. We're recording on the same day as Apple's announcements for the uh, iPhone XS. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to get into this. Um, 
This is one that I purchased through Tavor, uh, our friends over at Tavor. Um, there are a lot of really interesting statistics and, and uh, little bullets here on the bottle, but let's open them up. Let's give them a taste and, uh, and then we can talk through them. Sounds good. Now, this is one of those weird occasions where you've got a can and I've got a bottle. Yeah, that was last week. We we've, we swapped this week. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm in a 22-ounce uh, bomber here. They're out of Vint Hill, Virginia, Adroit Theory is. Um, and on the bottle, they recommend food, cheese, and cigar pairings and a uh, temperature at which they think this is best. It's four degrees leeway on what they think is the best serving temperature for this so it's <laughs> i don't know how i'm going to keep it between 50 and 54 degrees fahrenheit but uh but I'll, I'll do my best i guess the pouring this guy out it's you know what you expect from a nice orangey gold hazy tropical ipa it's not um it's not orange juice or orange milk so it's still you know um nice and colorful but i definitely cannot see through it um Kind of low on the uh, head and carbonation there. Smells very juicy, like fruit juicy. Mine is absolutely uh, smelling the same way. It's got a lot of grapefruit and and sort of like um, when you when you crack open a pineapple can and you're just sort of inundated with this uh, sweet kind of astringent bitterness from the pineapples. I get a lot of that from from this beer. Um, it is pouring kind of like you said, uh, not, you know, completely orange opaque, but it's got, it's got a bit of, uh, a bit of haze, a little bit of sediment. I should say this one is probably a little older than I, I would have liked to, to do, uh, with this. I'm trying to look for a, a bottled date, but I'm, I'm not finding one on here, but it does clock in. Oh, no, here we go. Uh, bottled on June 6th, 2018. So the the warning consume immediately on the side printed here um i did not heed their warning so i guess maybe that's that's just me falling in line here with this the the style and the name of this beer and and being a bit of a, a chaos warrior i guess yeah um, i um i think maybe i poured into a glass here at the office and i'm wondering if this glass just came out of the dishwasher cuz it's kind of the smell between the glass and the can is a bit different. So taking a little whiff from the can, mm. a little bit more floral on the um, the hops there. The um, the aroma is coming out a little better. The taste isn't as uh, fruity as I expect. It's kind of orange. Um, it's, yeah, it's got that like orange citrus more than like tropical fruit in my opinion. Definitely leaning more towards more towards that than like you know the the pineapple uh, kind of like grapefruit passion fruit thing i grabbed a glass that can hold 22 ounces of liquid it looks absolutely ridiculous that's 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 monstrous that's nuts it's pretty great though but more importantly what's it taste like pretty bitter actually surprisingly bitter it only comes in at 27 ibu but i'm either suffering from the the hop half-life or maybe how warm it it's gotten in in the transit from my uh non-existent fridge to to our recording location here it is very fruity so i don't i don't get like the the sweet 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 juice flavor it's still pretty dry for a for a double yeah the um the bitterness on this uh the juice over here is 
it's pretty mid-level, I think, in my opinion. Um, it's not uh, it's not overwhelming um, or like something that you don't want, um, but it does linger a little bit, and it it does end with a dry, a very dry finish. I think um, mm-hmm. it just kind of leaves you wanting to take another sip again. Yeah, the I would say the hops are are real, real prominent. Um, while there is some sediment in here. I think is just a, a matter of it needing to be put back in solution. It's not sticking to the bottom of the glass, which is which is good. Um, and it's not floating in like a powdery way inside of the the liquid. Um, it's it got reincorporated into the beer real quickly, um, and I think it was just a matter of it it sitting around for a little while. I'm real happy with this one though. Um, I'm not likely to buy many imperial ipas in 22 ounce bottles anymore mainly because it's a lot it's a lot to drink and and a lot to um stomach all all at once if i'm going to get a 22 ounce bottle though it's going to be a new england style these days i can't do the 100 ibu double ipa you know even 80 ibu double ipas in bombers anymore um stone i think Maybe probably one of the last ones that I'm I'm willing to kind of stick my neck out and and try in that size bottle. But the 16 ounce cans are such a convenient size for both tasting, sometimes sharing. Um, but uh, you know, uh, having one beer, it, it's a, it's a perfect size for that. Oh, I completely agree. That's usually you know if I'm going for something during a day, um, usually a one 16 ounce of some sort of a like mid bitterness, usually juicy IPA will do the trick and I'll be satisfied for the day. Um, after that, I don't, the, you know, the 22 ounce, um, they're great. I think for sharing. And if you're going to kind of space it out, um, I'm trying to figure out what that, so we were, we, when I was picking up this uh, beer yesterday, we were talking and you pointed out that there was one next to it in the picture I sent you from toppling Goliath. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember what that one was now because I did pick that one up too and I had it last night and it was a 22 ounce and I ended up, I had the whole thing, but granted I spaced it out over the course of, I don't know, maybe like two hours. I had like a pint and I was doing things. So I didn't like just sit there and, you know, drink the whole thing, but um, I spaced it out and it worked out pretty well. Let's see. Uh, that was the Mosey Zlander with Mosaic from Toppling Goliath. It is a it's a variant of Zlander, which it appears that they make a number of different ones. Yeah, I had this one last night and it was um, it was really good. I liked it a lot. I mostly got it again for the fact that a Toppling Goliath is pretty solid across the board, and b um, I love the label with the vintage airplane. Super cool. Plus, I mean, eight thousand reviews. And an average of four point one eight globally, you can't beat that. Exactly. I that's, mean, that's that that is real, real high for an IP. That's what you said. You're like, I sent you that picture. I'm like, oh, hey, they have the the Meeseeks juice. You're like, what's next to it? It's four point one. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I didn't even notice that. Guess I've got to get one. But I'm glad. Um, I'm glad I got both because uh, that the that Toppling Goliath is more of like a standard American IPA, not so much on the like <laughs> the juicy, hazy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but this Meeseeks juice, I've been wanting to have it for a while. Um, it's pretty solid. I think I, I've now experienced it and I love the can. Um, not something I think I'll go back to with how many, um, you know, IPAs and hazy IPAs there are out there, but um, definitely solid and worth checking out. 
Yeah, and I wanted to read just quickly uh, from the side of this bottle. I said that they recommend food, cheese, and cigar pairings for this, but the food they recommend, let me know how this sounds, maybe with, with your beer as well. Cumin rubbed pork shoulder, white hominy pozole, and grilled jalapenos. I don't know about pairing, but I'll eat that right now. <laughs> yeah, it sounds incredible. Uh, for the cheese, they recommend Springbrook Ashbrook. Hmm. Is that a type of cheese? I would have to look that one up. It's likely an ash rind cheese um, or uh, some sort of fresh spring cheese. I, I can't really tell just from the name. I'll have to look that one up. And then for the cigar, an EP Carrillo Sexion. Oh, yeah, it's something royale. I don't know anything about cigars, and I, I am probably butchering it. So I, I apologize for anyone who, uh, <laughs> who knows what the heck I'm talking about. Um, but I think that's pretty cool that they offer up like some highly, highly, highly specific uh, recommendations for what you should pair with this. It would be great. Maybe they do this already. But if they offered up uh, recipes for that food on their website or oh, uh, nice. even on the bottle would would be really great. I would love to do something like that. Now, I know we get some flack for all the IPA talk we have, but what's your favorite? You should definitely let us know what your favorite uh, hazy IPA, New England IPA, double IPA, whatever it is that falls into that category. Um, let us know what your favorite is on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram uh, by tagging us at Untapped. And let us know if you've got a suggestion for what to pair these things with, because I don't know if I can make a Cuban rubbed pork shoulder, white hominy pozole, and grilled jalapenos. Uh, maybe maybe something else would would go better with this, but uh, yeah, let us know. I think you could do it. I know I know you like cooking. You could totally do that. <laughs> and when you do, you're inviting me over for dinner. All right, let's take a look at the most recent release of the Untapped app. That's going to be Untapped three dot three dot three. This is what we consider a, a quote unquote, I'm using uh, bunny ears here, hot fix. Uh, this is following up our 3.3.2 release that we made a couple of weeks ago. And this has a number of fixes for some language specific things. We were having some trouble with uh, Portuguese Brazilian loading up properly for users. So that is in there. Tagging friends didn't get an update when editing. There was an issue in updating your check-in screen with your uh, tagged friends. So that is fixed. And also some of the button spacing on the check-in screen has also been fixed. Uh, because we ran a release here for you for 3.3.3, we've also got a few improvements. There are some improvements to Portuguese language and German languages. So thanks to folks who sent in feedback about those two languages. We will uh, we'll continue listening to those. And if you've got suggestions, you can send those in to us. We also added a filter for menus and list of beers at a brewery. So now you can filter those by both vintages and out-of-production beers and also only showing beers you have not had before. So there's a little toggle button there that you can turn on and turn off based on whether or not you want to see only beers that you have not had before. Ooh, I like that. If you've got issues or feedback, be sure to tap the feedback button inside the app, inside of settings, or you can visit help.untapped.com and let us know how we can help. Our friend John Holzer from the Four Brewers podcast is back with some more great homebrewing tips and tricks for you. 
Here's John with more. Hey everyone, John here from Four Brewers and I'm back with today's homebrew tip. And today we're not gonna specifically talk about homebrew, but more about tasting beer in general. I just got back from the California Craft Beer Summit in Sacramento, California. And while I was there, I went to a panel that was put on by Pat Fahey from the Cicerone Certification Program about tasting beer. And I learned a couple cool things in this panel. The first one is smelling beer. Now we all have done this before where we take a beer, put it into a glass, swirl it around and take a sniff. That's a good way to do it. It releases aromatics. But a really cool way to do it and to really concentrate those aromas is to put your hand on top of the glass, swirl it around for five to 10 seconds, leave your hand on top of the glass for another five seconds, and then quickly remove your hand and take a sniff. Those aromatics will be super concentrated and you'll really be able to tell what you're smelling in that beer. I sometimes struggle with trying to pick out the finer details of what a beer smells like, and this technique really helps with that. The second thing I learned is the retronasal exhale, and this is really easy to do. So all you do is take a sip of beer, slosh it around in your mouth and swallow, but after you swallow, you forcefully exhale through your nose like this. It sounds weird, but what happens is that air then goes across your palate through your nose. So your nose is a big factor in determining what a beer tastes like, and this works very well for pulling out all of those flavors from the beer. The last thing I learned is this really cool trick for determining whether or not your beer has a metallic aroma to it. And it's really simple. All you have to do is take your finger, dip it in the beer. I know it sounds weird. Dip it in the beer and then rub it on the back side of your hand and then smell your hand. Those metallic aromas, if there is a metallic thing going on in that beer, will immediately come out because apparently the fats in your skin react with the stuff in the beer and it really, really makes those metallic elements shine. So those are three things I learned at the California Craft Beer Summit this year. Uh, if you want to go to the California Craft Beer Summit next year and you're in Southern California, you're in luck because it's moving to Long Beach, California. So you don't have to go all the way up to Sacramento. It's going to be awesome. I hope to see you there. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. You can catch more from John and the whole Four Brewers crew over at fourbrewers.com or subscribe to their show wherever you listen to podcasts. That is the Four Brewers Show. Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store and pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. Go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code PODCAST at checkout to get 20% off all orders. That's store.untapped.com, coupon code PODCAST to get 20% off. All right, let's look at some of the interesting beer articles that we found this week. And Tim, I actually found this one. It's called Matcha Beer is a Thing Now When Green Tea Meets Rice Lager. So this comes to us from October, I believe is the website, oct.co. This is a uh, basically a, like travel and essay um, website for beer. And Ooh. they've got a feature here that has such a beautiful photo of a tulip glass with matcha being poured in it that I couldn't not put it in our show notes for this episode. Uh, but let me tell you a little bit about matcha. Yes, please do, because I have never actually had matcha. I, I see it popping up everywhere. A local coffee shop that I hang out at now offers it. Um, obviously, like the larger chains have picked up on it with the matcha fraps and matcha iced and all this stuff. And I, I honestly, I've, I've seen people make uh, matcha tea and i just i don't know anything about it i'm excited to hear more yeah if you can get it as a haagen flavor i think it's really kind of made its way into the into the zeitgeist of america <laughs>
<laughs> Truth. Uh, so matcha is the brightly hued powder made of green tea leaves. It's the latest flavor from Japan that has found deep resonance among American audiences. And I'm sure we have seen that. Like you said, you can get a, a matcha soft serve uh, basically anywhere. You can get matcha noodles, which are, uh, I, I guess, like ramen noodles, basically, with matcha in them. And, of course, the, the Starbucks favorite matcha lattes. Uh, they're as common, this article says, as cappuccino in coffee shops. And that's most definitely true. Um, but it was only a matter of time before matcha made its way into beer. Matcha beer has been popular in bars in Japan for several years, and it's typically coming in two forms. The first being matcha that is brewed directly into the beer. It adds the, it's added at the same time as all of the other flavorings before it's fermented and bottled. So it's probably not going to impart a lot of the uh, green hue that you would expect from a green tea or a, or a matcha tea, um, but you'll get a lot of those earthy flavors coming through on that beer. And I've had a few that are like this, uh, namely, I think one from Stone at their 20th anniversary. They did one of their versions um, with matcha added. The second, though, is a varietal in which a beer is poured directly into the matcha a la minute. Uh, I guess, which just means now uh, the f- the former years, the former yields a more subtle lingering matcha taste, while the latter results in a brighter, more in your face effect. So this can most definitely be seen in the sort of leading image here over on October. Uh, I have a cat named October, so it's a little weird for me to be saying that. Uh, We're going to come running up. I know I'm, I'm, I'm having some weird associations here. Uh, the picture looks pretty rad watching that like the green matcha tea just pour right into the beer. That's a pretty cool. I mean, granted that's, you know, a bit more of like a, like adding syrup to a, to a Goza almost that status, mm-hmm. but it looks really cool. That's for sure. Yeah. Stefan Ramirez, owner of 29 B tea house says the most obvious appeal to the matcha beer is the vibrant shade of green. Like you said, they say, I hate to make it that simple, but people just absolutely love that color right now. Which I, th- I think we can definitely say as well, you know, the the opaque orange color is as interesting to beer drinkers as probably just a, a bright green beer would be. Or even ones that are adding uh, the, I think, purple pea flower, which which causes the beer to be to be purple, which is kind of cool. Bluish purple. They also say that there are other draws to it as well. They say as a micro fine powder, it thickens the beer itself, giving it a quality like a stout without the taste of a stout. Oh, that's very interesting. I can I can see that, you know, that the powder adding that sort of um, texture to it. Yeah, it would kind of give it uh, what 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 we call in the industry mouthfeel. Mm. While the process of making a beer brewed with matcha is relatively similar to adding any kind of flavoring into beer during the brewing process, making matcha infused beer in a bar setting is a bit more complicated. So this is how it goes. It's not as simple as dumping a bunch of matcha into a glass of old beer, they say. To make his, Ramirez uses the traditional technique for making matcha tea with a tea bowl and a bamboo whisk. But instead of whisking matcha into water during that process, he uses a small amount of beer. Then he pours the beer on top of the matcha mixture and allows it to keep as much of the carbonation alive as possible. So it it seems it's actually the opposite of what's going on in the, uh, the, the gif at the top of the article where they're adding the beer actually to the matcha mixture. 
That way they can um, sort of keep as much of the carbonation as possible. But in this process, uh, Ramirez is using light beer, his favorite rice. His favorite is a rice lager to make the subtleties of the matcha shine through. And I can absolutely see this working really, really well. Uh, matcha can be paired with things like honey pretty well. Um, a lot of kind of uh, bright or citrusy notes work really well. They mentioned in the article IPAs tend to do pretty well with this as well. If I say well one more time, I'm, I might be in a well of, of matcha infused beer. Which I don't I don't think you'd have a problem with that. No, it sounds really good. I, that was one of the things I actually missed out on uh, in Japan in my, my trip earlier in the year. I didn't do like a traditional Japanese tea ceremony. Um, we barely had any matcha. But the tea that we did get was so high quality. Even the tea at 7-Eleven, the green tea was so, so, so good. You end up with like just the the tiny little bits of uh, the green tea leaf in your tea, uh, just steeping it normally. So it kind of still had that that sort of toothy quality to it. Um, but matcha in particular is very unique. I definitely need to try this. I don't, I mean, maybe, maybe this is a trend. Maybe we'll see more of this on Instagram. I've, I want to try one. Yeah, I agree. Uh, from someone who's never had matcha before, I think I'd want to start with the actual tea and see what that's like. Um, and then move on to this because uh, the way you're describing it, at least from your experience, it sounds like that would pair up very well. And I, I can imagine like, um, I, I haven't had a lot of rice lagers, so I'm not exactly sure mm. how that would match up. But I can imagine like, um, Obviously, like matcha tea and um, rice-based um, foods go together pretty well. So combining the two sounds like it would make sense to me. Yeah, I think uh, also popular in terms of, of tea and sort of those flavors, you get um, the, the malted barley in that process. Uh, barley tea is a popular tea, mostly cold. Um, there's also a toasted rice tea uh, that is sort of a, a Japanese staple. So kind of all in the same family. They, they're ingredients that make great teas separately. So I'm absolutely sure together they would they would be a great 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 flavor combination. And after um, last week's show, when we talked about the uh, the gentleman who's brewing um, beers that pair specifically with um, traditional Mexican food, I wonder how well a matcha lager might pair with some of the uh, more traditional Japanese cuisine. Keeping with the theme of food and beer, we are going into our next article here. It is New Frozen Dinner Uses Alabama Craft Beer. This is coming to us from craftbeer.com, and this one sounds tasty. An Alabama craft brewery is working with National Frozen Food Company on New Frozen Dinner Made with Beer. Now, frozen TV dinners, I, I, I grew up having a few of these. What's what's your experience with frozen TV dinners? I was the kid in our family who would probably eat the Hungry Man version of those, the, the uh, horribly uh, gendered version of TV dinners, which I think is still still exists here in the U.S. Um, but it was basically like twice the amount of food that you would normally get in a TV dinner, which kind of defeats the whole purpose of a, of a TV dinner. I feel like you could serve two people with a Hungry Man dinner. Um, but I kind of grew up on those and then I, in my college years would eat the Tony's like $1, uh, cubed pepperoni pizzas that were in the frozen <laughs> section. 
Those <laughs> yes. were absolutely how I survived. That's amazing. Yeah, I growing up, um, TV dinners were a novelty, kind of like um, uh, Lunchables. Those were a huge novelty for me, too. Oh, Lunchables! Yeah, yeah. So TV dinners were in the same vein, like something like I we you know the family would go grocery shopping, be like, could I please have a couple TV dinners? Just and, and it's yeah. funny to think like as a it's funny to look back on that and think, wow, this was something that you actually asked for and wanted. I mean, come on, it's super easy. Toss in the microwave and you've got all your meals plus a dessert. Usually, what what's not to like? Yeah. So getting back into the article here, um, Back 40 Beer Company out of Gadsden, Alabama, is actually working with Stouffer's on beer-glazed meatballs. Mm. The frozen dinner uh, is meatballs glazed in Back 40's Truck Stop Honey Brown Ale, which is a silver medal winner in the specialty honey beer category um, at the 2010 Great American Beer Festival. It will be served over cheddar mashed potatoes. Yum. That sounds like a really, really great pairing. Um, and also kind of interesting because you do see, I mean, I'm sure there are like A1 steak sauce branded uh, TV dinners. So there's probably like, you know, Jim Beam, uh, I don't know, steak or, or sauce or something. There is all, like a, a hard alcohol uh, bourbon sort of tint to a lot of uh, fast food uh, items. I think namely Carl's Jr. was one that has worked with Jim Beam before on their burgers. Um, so I, th- I think alcohol brands are getting some space in the like made for you already food scene. Uh, but it's kind of cool to see Stouffer's, which is like the big, big, big company uh, working with a small Alabama beer company on this that's really cool yeah and it's uh the the brewery coo who is trip collins actually says that a former intern who now works at nestle which is stouffer's parent company actually helps spark the collaboration which just spurs on the uh who you know uh sort of mentality here when they began to look at different dishes for this product line beer was one of the things that they wanted to create with and our former intern mentioned that she used to work at a brewery uh collins says uh, the brewery describes Truck Stop Honey as a medium-bodied English brown ale made with Alabama wildflower honey, roasted malts, and fresh hops. Back 40 supplied Stouffer's with around 500 gallons of beer for the frozen dinner collaboration. That's a lot of beer. Yeah, it is. And you can actually find beer-glazed meatballs with Back 40's Truck Stop Honey Brown Ale in grocery stores this fall. And I may have to just harken back to my childhood and go pick up a couple of these. We were just talking about uh, what beer should be allowed on Untapped, Tim. And I think we should start to allow frozen dinners. I'm just going to say it. Frozen dinners, now a category on Untapped. <laughs> I'm going to check into my beer-glazed meatballs. <laughs> now, here's the interesting question. What would it be like to to be eating the frozen dinner of these beer glazed meatballs while also drinking the um, the brown ale, the truck stop honey brown ale? So in my boy, I'm going to I'm going to sound a little loaded here in my studies of uh, pairing beers with food. I don't like pairing the beer that I have cooked with with the food I'm eating or conversely like um a sausage or or something like that that has been uh made with a beer or even like beer battered something or other um 
it it never really tastes as good when you do same samey flavors as when you do something that sort of helps to cut the fat, let's say from a meatball or helps to balance the roastiness uh, from the beer with something that's lighter on the palate with the food and, and vice versa. I think pairing the beer with the food in this case might be okay because 500 gallons of beer isn't that much when it comes to the sheer totality of the number of frozen dinners that they're probably cranking out of the factory there at Stouffer's. Um, the the flavor is going to be subtle. You're going to get a lot more of the honey and probably a lot more of the glaze on the beer glazed meatballs than anything else. More sugar, you know, stuff like that. So maybe the hops in the beer will get more pronounced. It may not be that bad of a pairing. Yeah, I can totally understand what you're saying. Like you, you, you get, you cook with a beer and then you drink the beer. You kind of get doubled up on whatever the beer imparts as well as what you're drinking. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, depending on how obviously how it's cooked or how it's made or how the glaze is created, it it probably boils down to more of like the honey and uh, malt oh, sort of thing. All right, boils down. Give me a break. Reduces. <sighs> I wasn't trying to make a pun. Two weeks in a row, Tim. Two weeks in a row. Oh, things that you've you've. Okay, I mean, I I just talk, and then you <laughs> seem to find them. I don't I don't quite understand. <laughs> but either way, the way that it reduces down, you're probably going to end up, like you said, with more of that sweetness and less of the hops. So it might be an interesting way to kind of accentuate the sweetness, but then also cut it with the slight hoppiness when you take a drink. I don't. I don't know, but this sounds like something that might be worth experimenting with. We've got a microwave in the office. I'm just saying, maybe, maybe we could crack one open for for the episode. I don't know how, like, peeling back the plastic on a, a finished TV dinner would sound in a microphone, but uh, but we'll we'll be sure to add that in post. Maybe <laughs> today we are opening this beer. And also this TV dinner. <laughs> Just. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. All right. Very good. Very, very good. All right. Moving on now that I'm extremely hungry. Our next article comes from the New Zealand Herald. And it is Carlsberg to ditch plastic rings. Glues beer cans together instead. I'm I'm sorry. What? Ditching plastic rings is uh, something that should just be done by every beer company in the world. I think that's something that we can all agree upon. And I think I've mentioned this before, but anytime I see a plastic six pack ring, the, you know, the the translucent, um, stretchy, easy to break plastic rings. If I see one lying around, if I see one on a counter, if I see one in a trash can, even I will grab it and I will make sure to rip all those rings up or cut them up. It's just, it's habit at this point because those things are so terrible. And we've also talked about in the past, um, companies that are trying to make, you know, biodegradable um, six-pack holders or four-pack holders. And, you know, a lot of um, local craft breweries are starting to use those more uh, reusable solid plastic holders, which is a good step, um, you know, towards eliminating a lot of waste and a lot of that dangerous plastic that ends up in landfills. But it looks like Carlsberg's actually taking it one step further, which I really, really like this article and what they're trying to do here. So Carlsberg beer cans are to be stuck together with glue as it becomes the first brewer to abandon plastic rings. I'm looking at the image here, and this seems kind of cool. Um, I'm sure you'll get into a bit of the, like, 
the the way that the the magic adhesive is sort of keeping these together. Um, but I'm the kind of person with the with my beer six packs and four packs that I've got a drawer basically full of these reusable uh, four pack holders, the, the little like snap in kind that uh, when I go to a share or, you know, I want to carry uh, even just one or two and, and bring you like a four pack to the office. That's what I'll use. And and they get pretty good use out of it. The ones with the rings, like you said, I remember the 90s, man. I remember like the, all I can see is a, a fish eating that or a fish getting stuck in that. And I would end up, like you said, pulling them out of the trash and and cutting them up. I'm really glad to not see as many of them these days, uh, if at all. I think beer is the one of the last industries that's using the sort of snap together four packs. Uh, but this is this seems like a, a, a cool way to, uh, to sort of save the planet, if you would, uh, in, a, in a real small way. But tell, tell me how this tell me how this works. Well, before we get into kind of like how it works, the initial image that I have is let's say there's a six pack, right? And they say they glue beer cans together. I'm picturing like you have a six pack. And you pull the whole six pack out of the fridge and open one can of the six pack and drink it, and then put the whole six pack back in with five unopened. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like you're having to, uh, you're having to hold what would be, I don't, I don't know, like an iPad sized uh, <laughs> container of uh, beers, just all six of them at once, and and drink from one, I guess, or maybe with six of your friends. I don't know how that would work. I would probably go for a straw before yeah, a I bunch would of, go for actually putting this up to my face. A bunch of uh, a bunch of swizzle straws like uh, you're sharing a milkshake at the uh, the soda shop. Yeah, see, exactly. <laughs> so the Danish firm said the move which has been heralded as a world first to attach its multi-packs with adhesive will reduce the use of plastic to package products by 75%. That is huge. After a three-year development process, Carlsberg insists the dots of glue bonding its new, um, what they're calling snap packs, are strong enough to withstand the journeys from shelves to home, yet sufficiently brittle enough to you know break apart when you twist them. The eco-friendly packaging innovation will be debuted in the uh, United Kingdom, where 30% of Carlsberg beer output is drunk every year. And that is true. Um, when I think of you know big beer companies in... Um, in the United Kingdom, Carlsberg is definitely one that comes to mind. Is there any mention in this article about the six packs as sort of like a, a way of carrying beers together? Because uh, one of one of the things about these glue dots is that it's yes, it's going to reduce the amount of plastic overall that's being used, but it's not going to add any reusability to this process. It's not like I can get my cans refilled and then reuse that adhesive that's that's sort of you know on the outside of those those cans um but i also am not going to be able to grab the cans from anywhere but the bottom i would assume as well i I kind of like you know you know where you hurt your your uh, ring finger and your uh, thumb by (laughs) trying to carry a six pack of beer with two fingers um it, it can be dangerous but i guess maybe they're trying to to reduce that or that may not have been one of the um one of the determining factors on whether or not this was successful for them. No, there's no mention in here about um, carrying, but that is a good point. I mean, you'd have to basically hold it from the bottom or, you know, just like wrap it in your arm. There's no uh, strap or anything Mm -hmm. like that, I guess, unless they go the route of um, 
for us here in the U.S., like uh, if you go to Target and you buy a big pack of uh, paper towels, they'll wrap a plastic thing around it for you to carry it. But no, there's no mention of that. Though I do find this um, very fun that uh, this is a quote here. The starting point was to go to a hardware store and literally buy all of the adhesive I could get. All the glue that was there, says uh, Christopher uh, Stuhlman, who works for one of Carlsberg's design partners. He said, over the weekend, I just glued together things and made a short video for my CEO, and that's where the idea was born from. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I like, though, that they've got the support of the World Wildlife Fund as well, the WWF, hailed as a big step in efforts to tackle the worsening global scourge of plastic pollution. That's a good point. I mean, yes, you may be missing sort of the, like, convenient, you just grab it from the top and carry it thing. But again, that'd be more plastic. Um, and you, it, this seems like a much better way to do it. No plastic being used. It's just simply the uh, adhesive holding everything together. Yeah, and I, I picture this adhesive being kind of like that, uh, the stuff that holds your credit cards uh, to the paper when you get them. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. The head of sustainability at Carlsberg, who is uh, Simon Hoffmeyer, he said once the snap packs are rolled out worldwide, the company will reduce its plastic usage by 1,200 tons a year, which is the equivalent to 60 million plastic bags. That's that's huge. And it's the T-O-N-N-E-S tons, uh, meaning a metric ton. So it's different <laughs> different from what we would uh, think of here in the U.S. as tons. Um, it's a lot, though. 60 million plastic bags. Yeah, that's that's a lot. I mean, we know that plastic bags are detrimental to um, to wildlife. We've seen so many stories recently. I think um, over the weekend there was a launch of one of those um, inventions to go clean up the plastic issues in the Pacific Ocean, and we know we know that it's a problem. And to see companies, especially large companies like Carlsberg, trying to actually take a step to you know to fix this problem. And I, I don't obviously I don't know about the uh, the economics behind it, whether it's cheaper to put rubber dots than produce plastic, you know, holders. But just to see them kind of taking a step towards this and actually putting focus on that, while it, it's a media thing that obviously can be put out and help them look good, I who who cares? It's going to help the environment, which I think is really great. It may not be as good as say the uh, the biodegradable holders that we talked about a while back, but still. Reducing that much plastic pollution is huge. All right, next up, we've got an article from DNAIndia.com, their science department, I guess. They say, new algorithm may help improve taste of beer. I hope this isn't another one of those like, uh, hey, AI's here to to save the beer industry because uh, we don't know if it'll be Skynet or if it'll, I guess, brew beer in this case. Uh, but hopefully it's more like machine learning or, or some sort of uh, application of that, but would you would you trust your uh, beer drinking to math, Tim? Uh, it depends on what it's based upon. I, I think I would definitely give it a shot. I, it depends on what variables and factors it's basing it upon. Now, if it were basing it upon my untapped history, then I would possibly trust it. Granted, my history is all over the place, so I would probably end up with some sort of weird IPA Oktoberfest hybrid, which I don't know how that'd go. <laughs> What if uh, there was a twenty three in me, but for beer taste, where they uh, they take a they take a look at your your DNA profile, your tongue, if you would, and uh, and and suggest some some beers based on that? Would that be maybe more more in line with with 
your actual taste. That does sound interesting. I would be intrigued by that concept. But also what I just said got me thinking about why is is there such thing as an Imperial Marzen? <laughs> There's got to be, right? That's got to be something that somebody's made before. While, while Tim Googles, though, I'm going to get into a, a little bit about this article. Scientists, they say, have created a machine learning algorithm that may help brewers to have greater control over the flavor of beer and also yield personalized treatments for metabolic disorders in the future. The algorithm developed by scientists at the Francis Crick Institute in the UK can predict yeast metabolism by its protein content. Metabolism is the process by which organisms convert nutrients into energy and essential molecules via a series of chemical reactions and science, 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 and more science, uh, which is all about brewing, right? We, we, we kind of uh, turn away, I guess, when it, when it comes to talking about yeast and molecules and metabolism and things like that. But that's, that's how all this beer gets made. And so it's, it's incredibly important to, to pay attention to all this stuff. But when it gets into like these, these deep, deep, deep scientific uh, studies for it, it, it all kind of mm, it, it's got some uh, some fuzziness for me. I don't really understand all of it, but maybe maybe this will explain a little bit more. When yeast metabolizes sugar in the absence of oxygen, it ferments to produce alcohol, which we know acids and gas, including flavor compounds that make things like bread, wine and beer taste good. Until now, the mechanisms controlling metabolism have not been fully understood. The study published in the journal Cell Systems shows that to a large extent, the metabolism of brewer's yeast is predictable by machine learning algorithms if they are provided with large amounts of protein expression information, apparently, which I don't know what that means, but it sounds like they're getting to a point where they can try and maybe predict this uh, a little closer than, than they have before. Alex Sage Zelzeniak? I'm going to go with that, says, thanks to machine learning, we now have a better understanding of what controls metabolism, which is good news for brewers looking to create the perfect pint or for biotechnologists that use yeast to produce vaccines and other proteins that are medically important. So it's not necessarily just for us beer drinkers here. This could be imperative for any sort of uh, I guess, metab metabolism or yeast gene expression or like ac actually following the brewer's yeast uh, through this sort of predictive mach machine learning cycle uh, to end up with something at, at the end of it that is uh, what the scientists that are using it want. I mean, that sounds like it could be very helpful because obviously... Um, brewing is, while there is a level of science to it, there is also kind of a level of just whatever happens, happens. You, you can't you can't control every aspect. Well, I guess you can control a lot of it, but there are certain things that just, just happen. And this is an interesting take on the fact of um, trying to figure out how you can, you know, cut things off at certain levels and um, just brew something that's very specific. Yeah. Yeah, sort of using the science to to your advantage to get the output that you want um, by kind of reverse engineering the the whole process here using uh, machine learning algorithms, which is kind of cool. Uh, the team is hoping to transfer their findings in yeast cells to the clinic in the next few years to help patients with metabolic diseases. So 
being put to good use here and uh, may eventually be something that that you see in in beer, but is definitely something that will uh, hopefully help patients here in the near future. It's interesting because there was an article I read, and I don't remember if we talked about it a while back, about uh, looking for different strains of bacteria for souring beers. And uh, it was being done. There's actually a school that was using sour beer uh, to figure out different um, strains kind of as a test before taking those strains into any sort of medical um, trials, which I think is kind of interesting here. The same idea is like um, huh. using beer to figure out this metabolism and then eventually hoping that that takes it into helpful things for medical issues. Yeah, that sounds that sounds really cool. Um, I kind of like that there are parts about uh, brewing that and and I guess the creation of beer that can help drive medical changes or, or changes to other industries other than just beer. I think that's really cool. Our next article comes from brewbound.com. This is Sufferfest beer releases low calorie, low carb beer enhanced with bee pollen. We're talking about additives to, uh, to beers and bee pollen is not one. I think that I've seen before that sounds definitely like I, I went to a Jamba juice and, uh, got, I, I don't know, some sort of boost put in my beer. Exactly. Bee pollen to me is something that you add to a smoothie. And I mean, granting we have, uh, we basically have beers that are smoothies at this point. So it kind of all runs in the same line, but this doesn't exactly fall into that same thing. So Sephiroth Beer Company uh, is excited to launch Repeat Kolsch, a low-cal, low-carb, low-alcohol beer that is heightened with bee pollen superfood for a healthy and active beer drinker. Hmm. Beer health... Mm, this is an interesting combo for sure. They say our repeat Kolsch boasts a full flavor and body, but without the calories and carbs weighing you down, uh, says Caitlin Landsberg, CEO and founder of Sufferfest Beer Company. Uh, we use bee pollen because it's a great way to introduce an unforgettably rich flavor without juicing the stats. So basically using something kind of natural that uh, isn't just being shoved in there uh, to help kind of boost up the uh, the flavor and uh, just uh, what the beer has in it. Uh, bee pollen superfood adds honeyed floral aromas, but more significantly imparts incredible anti-inflammatory and immune system stimulating properties. Now, I've, I've seen the Sufferfest beers uh, on the shelves before. They have a beautiful, beautiful package on them. Um, I... I think they I've seen two styles of Sufferfest beers before, and I do think they're also based out of San Francisco, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. But um, this seems like it is catering to a, a consumer that is calorie focused, low carb focused. And right now, I think the only brands that are kind of doing that are Michelob and maybe a couple others where they're, oh, you know, hey, I'm. I'm going on my marathon jog and then I'm going to have my low carb beer while I'm, you know, hanging out with friends. Sufferfest seems to be like they're uh, they're trying to get into a market that's dominated by by big beer brands right now. Yeah, this is true. And there's actually a quote from uh, Caitlin here that says there's no beer out there this flavor centric that has achieved these uh, nutritional stats. And they say that the, uh, the repeat includes vitamins, minerals, proteins, lipids, and fatty acids. And at a mere 95 calories and five grams of carbs per serving, um, it's a balanced yet full bodied Kolsch. So they're really taking aim here um, at kind of um, 
the premium sort of health conscious alternative to all those other locale summer beers that are coming from the mass produced macro breweries, which I think is interesting because mm-hmm. not only are they focusing on the, um, you know, the, the low carb, low calorie, but also on how they can kind of add a more health conscious twist to it, which uh, I, I feel like is something that a lot more people, namely in kind of like the the millennial age group are really looking for at this point. I know we talked a bit um, about how they're kind of the millennial group is looking for more low alcohol beers, things that won't get them fully sloshed at a party so that pictures of them don't end up on Instagram. So this is something that I think falls into that category into this growing market. Yeah, I agree. I I do think it's definitely targeted towards a younger demographic, um, especially with a, I guess it would be a buzzword like bee pollen. Bee pollen seems to be like one of those things that uh, like we like we were alluding to at the beginning of the of this article. It's kind of like something you see in a health food store and something you get put into your smoothie as a booster. Um, It's not something that you typically see uh, in a beer or or brewed with a beer in, in that process. So I'm interested to see. If this is a trend that other microbreweries are moving towards, kind of the lower calorie Kolsch style is is interesting as well. Um, kind of going for a lighter summer beer uh, taste. Um, we'll see how this continues to play out during the sort of cooler months here in the U.S. Um, but this may be something you see at a at a barbecue next year. Yeah, that is a good point. Not only would it be something refreshing and light, but also you wouldn't feel so bad about drinking it. Um, I'll keep an eye out for it for sure. It would attract bees, though, unfortunately. You'll just get swarms and swarms of bees hanging around all your beers uh, during the summer, which is uh, unfortunate. Like, what you doing with my pollen? (laughs) No bees were harmed in the making of this beer. All right, we've got, uh, we're running a little long, I think, but we've got uh, one last article to cover here really quick that I threw in that I thought was really awesome. This comes to us from brewbound.com, and it is 7,000 breweries to operate in the U.S. in 2018. That is a lot. The article says that a record 7,000 breweries will be be in operation in the United States in 2018, says the Brewers Association Chief Economist Bart Watson. He shared this Thursday at the opening session of the California Craft Brewers Association Craft Beer Summit Expo and Beer Festival, that's a mouthful, in Sacramento, which uh, just took place this past weekend. Watson called it a virtual certainty that the industry will reach the milestone or reach that milestone this year. And more breweries are on the way with more than 9,000 active permits filed with the uh, Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau at the midway point of 2018. That is a lot. Yep. Yeah, it's really good to see, though. I'm, I'm really glad. In California here where we are, uh, there are over 944 beer companies and there are more than 1,200 active federal brewery permits. So, I mean... That just means that there are 300-ish more that are either in planning or starting or not necessarily um, active yet. That's a lot. The article itself continues to uh, talk about growth and sales and future trends. Uh, So you can head over to our show notes and um, read more about all that. But I just thought the fact that they're predicting 7,000 breweries in operation in the United States in 2018, that that just blew my mind. And it's great to see the growth. It does talk about how... um, the growth for breweries has been slow, 
mostly because everybody's grasping for market share. But just it, it also says that people are still trying. They're still out there opening new things and the the craft beer industry is still alive and active. Yeah. And it's really good to see too that um, the small and new breweries tend to get a following very, very, very quickly these days. Uh, good news about beer travels very quickly, either through Untapped or through Instagram, places like that. Um, it's not hard to find a brand new place that just opened up in your neighborhood and uh, and go patronize them, you know, go go drink their beer. I feel like every other day I see something on Facebook about a new brewery opening here or opening there, yep. which I'm not complaining about. Not at all. All right, now it's time to answer some of your questions with hashtag AskUntapped. If there's anything you've wanted to know about Untapped or beer in general, be sure to send over your questions using that hashtag AskUntapped on Twitter facebook or instagram this week's question is coming to us from kip on twitter and uh, he asks with uh gabf which is the great american beer festival coming soon i wanted to know if you guys were planning on having a presence i'd love to uh, see you guys and have a beer together oh no you, no kip no need to give us presents boy that's really nice of you <laughs> no we'll give you presents that's right yeah um if you listen to our last episode which was episode 28 uh we actually announced that we will be coming to gabf this year um, Untapped will have a booth on the uh, show floor, uh, which will be manned by our co-founder, Greg Avola, and I believe a couple other people from the team. And Kyle and myself will actually be doing a live podcast recording at uh, Odell's Rhino Brew House and Tap Room on September 21st uh, from noon to 2. Uh, we did announce this in the last show, and you are more than welcome to come join us. Uh, on the show, we will be joined by Brent Cordell, who's the brewmaster at the Odell Rhino Brew House and Tap Room location, as well as Jason Murphy, who's the beverage innovation manager at Buffalo Wild Wings and also a certified Cicerone, which is going to be super helpful for us because our descriptions of beer have been iffy. Our, our descriptions of TV dinners, though, on point. Oh, yeah, for sure. We know we know our things. If you'd like to attend the live recording, uh, please head over to our show notes and follow the link in there to RSVP. Seating is limited, so we ask that you do RSVP ahead of time on the Eventbrite link, and we'll be sure to have that in there. It's already up in episode 28. It will be in the show notes for this episode. And Kip, hey, if you want to stop by, uh, please do. We would love to uh, meet you, talk, enjoy a beer together. I think it'd be great. Yep, and we'll have stickers. So uh, be sure to head out to, again, that's Odell's Rhino Brewhouse and Tap Room on September 21st. All right, show notes and a link to RSVP to that event are available at podcast.untapped.com. And if you've got any questions for us or you've got feedback, be sure to send it over on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's at Untapped Everywhere. And if you have a second, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give our show a rating. Five stars is obviously um, what we prefer you to do, but you know you can be honest with it. Um, and if you have a second, also write a little review. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. Um, we love seeing feedback and just seeing how we can continue to improve the show. And we'll see you out at GABF. Cheers. Cheers.